Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. Very well. How are you? Oh, I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, straight off the bat, I want to um, just uh, shout out to Jayco. Uh, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly. Um, from South Africa, who sent us a message uh, throughout the week saying that um, he obviously uh, stumbled across the podcast and found it rather interesting. And he started off with the Hitler series, which is heavy. So thank you. <laughs> Because, um, that is a heavy series. That's like a really political one as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a, a work friend of mine um, uh, started listening to the the show and was like, "Oh yeah, I started with the Hitler series." I was like, "Why? Why would you do that?" There's so many other like just shorter episodes that are like easier to get into. It's like, no, nope, no, nope, Hitler. Four episodes, please. Give me all of them. Everyone knows Hitler, don't they? They all, yeah. everyone's interested in in yeah. Adolf. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, if you guys want to contact us, which more of you seem to be doing, and I'm I'm just getting so excited by it, um, drop drop us a message. You can find us anywhere on any of our social media. Um, you can email us if you fancy. We had an email from New Jersey. That was really fun. Um, yeah, hit us up, guys. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. James, how has your week been? It's been good. Um, I've recently started a master's on uh, journalism. If I hadn't, I don't know if I mentioned that. So that's where I am right now, learning all the laws and how to basically be a journalist, um, learning how not to libel people and uh, defame people, which I think we've done quite a lot. In we've this done podcast, a lot. But most people are dead. But, <laughs> but if, as soon as they're dead, it's fine. You can do whatever the fuck you want. So Exactly. Yeah. And also, if they're a criminal, you can do whatever the fuck they want. So I think we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Most um, people then put words in their mouths of dead people. Yeah. And we don't pretend to be experts. So fuck it. We're fine. We're no. Good. From, from I think, what, yeah, episode, episode one, didn't we say? We are Wikipedia for your ears. Oh, yeah, for sure. Take everything we say with a pinch of salt. Most of it is true. I'd say, like, 99% of it is legit. But maybe some stuff slipped through the cracks. Yeah, yeah, we've got to tell stories. Um, now, interestingly, you say about that, obviously, when people being dead, you can kind of uh, not make stuff up, but things start to come out once people die. Uh, why up? Uh, part two is the episode you're listening to now is one of those people who when dead um, his story sort of lived on uh, past him uh, and with his story came embellishments which we've had to try to decipher and get past and whatnot so as we mentioned in the last episode um, there was like moments where he met Doc Holliday and that he, he walked into a saloon and there was a bunch of cowboys just pointing their guns at him and then Doc Holliday like pointed his gun at the leader and was like put your gun down nice and politely and then they all did it and it's like a great story and if, if it was in a western you go that's a great scene but we don't actually know if that was true um, so White Up is a perfect example of uh, we don't quite know necessarily if this happened, but we're going to tell the story anyway. Dead people are interesting. Exactly. Because they can't defend themselves m- more than anything. You can literally say whatever the fuck you want about them. I mean, the relative. Uh, is any Wyatt Earp relatives around? I don't know. Get in touch. Uh, so Wyatt Earp- But then I guess in the Wild West, like they didn't take many records because they were too busy That's shooting true. each other and now, you know, there dealing is- with cattle. There is a potential for bastards in White Earp's life. Uh, not that he knew of any, I don't think. Uh, but he certainly didn't have any children of his own. Uh, his siblings, right, his brothers, I believe, had children and families. Um, but uh, White Earp himself didn't. So I'm sure there are like great-great nieces and nephews somewhere around. I hope they're tuning in. 
Yeah, I hope so. That'd be real interesting. If they can get in contact, that'd be great. So, we last left off with the gunfight at the OK Corral. Brothers Morgan and Virgil Earp both suffered gunshot wounds. Doc Holliday had been grazed by a bullet. And of the cowboys they had fought, Tom and Frank McClory, along with Billy Clanton, were shot on the floor dead. Billy Claiborne and Ike Clanton ran away. Wyatt was left standing in the midst of a 30-second gunfight, completely unscathed. Now, since this isn't the Wild West, there is some form of law and order. It is the Victorian era over in the UK, for reference, at this point, which is interesting. Um, most people are quite civilised at this point uh, in history. Oh, shit. Yeah, you never really, like, compare the two. I remember finding out that, um, like, the Wild West and cowboys and all that took place after the Civil War, and I don't know why that blew my mind. Yeah, because you just think it's like this... Well, the, obviously... The term is Wild West. Mostly it's now... Yeah, so it's in the West. Yeah, and mostly we use the term Old West now rather than Wild because mm. Wild West is the myth and Old West is more the reality. But yeah, we think of like, oh, the Wild West where you know there was no law and people just ran around on uh, their horses shooting Indians and whatnot and killing people and no, there was just no one holding to account. Uh, but no, this took place after the Civil War. Like The United States is like bona fide a bona fide country um and this it's was mad, just people moving out it is mad because to me the civil war is a very defining point in america and i always assumed that the wild west was sort of when people got there and were like just setting up but no it's i was but then thinking about it america's a fucking big place in it so they settled on the east did what they had to do yeah so we briefly and covered then kind it, of we shifted we briefly covered it last week um the Americans had a war with Mexico, and then Mexico seized, uh, seized, uh, gave up a lot of its territory, which included California. Um, and then the Americans were like, "Well, there's a load of land over there now that we basically can have," but it meant crossing this like vast plain of sort of territories that America had, like New Mexico, which wasn't a, yet a state. It was just sort of, t- of a territory where people lived. It was the frontier. It was like between them and the natives and uh, the Mexicans. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily settled properly. So people were just basically trying to get through this one no man's land to get to California. Um, mm. But it is it is really interesting and fascinating. And like I say, um, the Victorian era is happening over in the UK at the same time, which is so bizarre. Like Queen Victoria's around and people like Oliver Twist and... All that's like sort of going around whilst these guys are, you know, walking down outside a saloon, you know, gun in hand, that kind of mythos that comes with it all. I just find that Mm. so fascinating when you start mixing two bits of history together. Yeah, I I just there's there's a TikTok account I can't remember the name of it where it like warps your sense of time. Where it's like one of the facts that blows my mind is Cleopatra being closer to today than she was to Tutankhamun. That's right. Like, that's mental. Yeah. Um, I think it was um, Martin Luther King and Anne Frank. Mm. I think they were born in the same year or very close. Yes, they're the same age, yeah. It, it It's just mental because, like, you think of time and periods of history and you kind of, like, Anne Frank was the 40s or uh, and Martin Luther King was uh, in the civil rights movement in America in, like, the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, for more historical reference that might blow your mind, of course, we mentioned it last week. But in this part two episode, uh, as we go on further into Wyatt's life, um, 
H.H. H. Holmes will be murdering people in Chicago. And over in London, uh, as I say, it's a Victorian era, uh, Jack the Ripper will be uh, killing his canonical five around the similar time that we're talking about White Earp in this episode, which is just mind-blowing. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating, though, isn't it? Um, now, yeah. because of this, the fact that people are civilised and, you know, it's 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 the modern world speaking, um, you can't just go around shooting who you like and expect to hear nothing of it in the aftermath. Now, even law officials were held account for their actions on occasion, and here is no exception. Oftentimes, after an incident, you, along with the lawman, would plead your case to a judge or some other higher power and claim, you know, it was self-defence for this particular reason, I've got a witness to corroborate it, and then the judge went, okay, yeah, fair enough, seems like a legit reason, the guy called you an arsehole and you shot him and the other one says it's self-defence, fine, whatever. <laughs> and that was it. Uh, but all you need is just for one person to cry bloody murder and you've got an investigation on your hands. And that's kind of exactly what happened in the aftermath of the gunfight at the OK Corral. Now, despite the fact that Ike Clanton and his band of cowboys started this whole beef with the Earps and were the ones coming into town looking for trouble after threatening the families of the Earps, it was Ike Clanton, the man who ran away from the gunfight, who was calling Wyatt Earp and his posse murderers. So the sheriff that Wyatt and his brothers were working for, Sheriff Behan, actually testified against his deputies and said that the McClory's threw open their coats not to pull their weapons but to disarm themselves and when Wyatt fired two shots at them starting the gunfight. Now if this was true then they could all be charged with murder and face the gallows. So why would the sheriff that they work for do that? Simply put... It seems he doesn't quite like the Earps, and moreover, he was quite pally with the Cowboys. Bit of corruption. Right. There's corruption everywhere, isn't there? Corruption everywhere. Now, since City Marshal Virgil Earp was injured, Wyatt testified in his place. Remember, um, Virgil Earp has been shot uh, during the gunfight, so he's in bed at the moment, resting up, so his brother Wyatt testifies in his place, claiming that they went to disarm the men and only shot when they refused and tried to go for their guns. But what also helped Wyatt's cause was Ike Clanton himself, unbeknownst to him. Now, remember when the uh, the fighting started, Ike Clanton and Billy Claymore both got scared and ran away, right? Well, Ike, mm -hmm. Ike Clanton ran into Wyatt Earp and grabbed him and basically was like, oh, please stop, don't shoot. And Wyatt shoved him to the side and said quote get to fighting or get away so ike runs away and he hides now this in the eyes of the law was evidence enough to suggest that the erp's intentions was not to hurt anyone unarmed only those that were a threat so that actually ike clanton on a like unbeknownst to himself actually helped white erp's cause so because he got scared and tried to run away the fact that Wyatt uh, pushed him to the side and didn't hurt him, they were like, oh, well, that shows obviously he's mm. not trying to hurt anyone, uh, only those that are trying to hurt him and the town. Nice guy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's a good thing. He could have easily just shot him and like planted a gun on him. You know what I mean? And that would be very American. That would be a very American thing. Now, as oh, let, let me rephrase. Very American police. Let, let's just... Oh, yes. You, on need, that demographic. you need to be careful. You need to be careful who you um, defame. 
Is that the word? Yeah, I'm learning about defamation and libel. To be fair, that was a group, so I don't think that matters. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, now, as far as the courts were concerned, Wyatt, along with his brothers Virgil and Morgan and Doc Holliday, were acting within the law, and, law- and the lawmen were free. But the cowboys weren't happy with that, and Ike Clanton swore he would get the Earps back one day. Now, on December 28, 1881, City Marshal Virgil Earp recovered from his wounds at the famous gunfight was walking between two saloons towards a hotel where he was keeping his family to protect them when he was blasted in the back and the arm by a shotgun. Still on his feet... Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, not only that, three shotguns. Like, bang, bang, bang. Like, three fucking pump-action shotguns or whatever, double barrels, we don't quite know. Three shotgun blasts to his back and arm. uh, Granted... (laughs) Not at point blank range. It's a little bit further afield. These guys are hiding in mm-hmm. uh, a, a construction of a building, and why uh, Virgil is walking out in the open. However, it's still a shotgun blast with a load of buckshot in your arm and your back. Yeah, that's that's an ouch. Yeah. So, um, still on his feet because you know, old west guys are hard. Uh, he stumbled into the hotel. His left arm was broken, and he had a load of buckshot in him. And when a doctor got to him, he was like, listen, mate, your arm is fucked. I can't do nothing here. So instead, he removed up to four inches above his elbow of bone away from his arm. He also had to remove the elbow joint because it was buggered to shit. And then he just sewed up his arm again. And his arm was just limp and useless for the rest of his life. Didn't amputate it. No, that how you'd be in shock, surely. Surely the amount of blood loss as well. You'd just be like, you'd think, but this dead. guy survived. This guy survived. That's when men that were men. Attack. That's when men were men. When mustaches could hold like guns and everything, like it was awesome. So this guy survived, but the doctor was like, ah, I can't be asked to take your arm. Listen, I'm just going to take away the bone fragments and I'm going to sew it up again. But then obviously that meant that Virgil <laughs> literally lost the use of his left arm. In fact, there's actually a really funny story about how um, there was. Uh, Virgil Earp later on in life was going out to do like some job as the, like a lawman or whatever uh, and it involved like riding horses to a particular area and one of the guys mm. at the front was like we're going to have to start riding hard now so let's go so they're all riding hard he looks back and he sees sort of Virgil Earp's left arm just sort of like flinging and bouncing just like on his side because <laughs> he has got no control over it and apparently it really freaked him out that his arm was just flapping in the wind in my head, the only thing I can see is, you know, in Harry Potter and Chamber of the Secrets where he's in that Quidditch match and he breaks his arm and Gilroy Lockhart tries to fix the broken arm and just ends up removing the bones. It's exactly that's yes, what no, I can see. It's exactly like that. But now imagine Harry like sort of just, I don't know, trying to windmill that arm. And that's what he was like riding a horse. <laughs> So, um, convinced that this was a revenge shooting, Wyatt asked U.S. Marshal Crawley P. Dake to appoint him as Deputy Marshal in the place of his brother to find the shooters. He was granted his request, along with powers to recruit his own men, and was given some money to assist in the investigation. Now, at the site of the shooting, interestingly, they found a hat, and that hat appeared to belong to Ike Clanton. Which seems a bit convenient, if I'm honest. Mm. And for everyone else in town, it seems rather convenient. You see, they sympathised with Virgil Earp being shot, right? 
but some thought it was easy to just say, oh, it was Ike Clanton and the Cowboys. And so a lot of them kind of called him out as a liar and was like, you've planted evidence, like, and no one really kind of believed it. Um, which right. I'm inclined to believe as well, if I'm honest. Just a bit of a scapegoat. Oh, I think it is. I think it's just easy. I think he just knew he wanted to get the Clantons and the Cowboys and was like, well, this is my opportunity to do it. So planted evidence, maybe. Like, why would he leave his hat? That- that was like definitely does, belongs uh, to me. In those days, there was no like, there was no DNA, and surely hats were, I don't know. Not everyone had an individual hat. How the fuck do they know that it was his specific hat? Uh, maybe his mum put his name in it or something. I don't know. Oh, that'd be cute. <laughs> Just in case you lose it, I'll put your name in the label. <laughs> That's so true. Do you know what? Interestingly, right? So mums did used to put names in their children's clothes in this era. Um, the only reason I know that. It's because last week I briefly mentioned the Donner Party, who were a guys heading out west to California, and a lot of bad stuff happened. Um, mm. I've currently been reading uh, a book about this particular time called The Indifferent Stars Above, and in it, the guy describes how dangerous the journey itself, just in general, was, and and the mm. many ways in which children died on the Oregon Trail and in more specifically the trail just out west um, and in one of them he says how mothers would uh, place the names of the children in all of their clothes um, not to uh, make sure that the kids don't lose their clothes but because it was so common that children just drowned they just fell in like massive water holes and drowned and they would never be recognised afterwards so they'd just pull them out and find the name tag and that's how they mothers knew the, whose kids they were that's quite sad. It's quite I mean, it's sad. helpful, but it's sad. Yeah, it's really helpful. And it's one of those, it's like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. It's like, how the fuck do I recognise mm. all these dead kids? And it's like, just start putting your names in them. <laughs> yeah. This is the, the mom that they were clearly okay with the possibility of this happening. Just, At no point where they're like, let's try and prevent this happening. Let's just make people identifiable. Uh, it's just one of those, it's an occupational hazard of sorts. If you're traveling out west, it, it, things happen. Kids got bit by rattlesnakes. They got taken away by mountain lions, wolves. Um, they got run over by the wagons. They got shot by their dad's guns that accidentally went off whilst the wagons were going up and down. Kids just died all the time. People died all the time just traveling out west. It was dangerous. That's a different Not story. Not me. That's a different story. But anyway, um, Wyatt obviously pissed off that so many people were criticising his investigation, tried to jack in his job as deputy marshal, but his request was denied. Uh, it's one of those, uh, God damn it, Wyatt, you give me results. You don't play by the rules, but you give me results. You're not getting fired. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his request was denied to lose his job. Instead, he tried to reconcile with Ike Clanton. Instead, he was like, "Listen, right, water under the bridge and all that. Let's try and you know, you and me just you know meet up, shake hands, be done with this shit." But maybe sensing a trap, which you know I think is wise, Ike Clanton wasn't having any of it, and he just refused. Um, so he claims to have had nothing to do with the shooting of Virgil. In fact, he has seven witnesses that testify that he was in Charleston at the time of the shooting. And by February, the case was cold and Wyatt had just, you just kind of had to accept it. It's one of those, you know, there's nothing here. I I can't solve the case if there's no evidence. So. That's good police work. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is and it isn't. It's like one of those, listen, if there's no evidence, you can't solve the crime. That is it. Mm. You know, you can't just make shit up, which uh, Wyatt probably did with the hat stuff. So anyway, he carried on his duties, but in March... 
1882, things would change. More specifically, on March the 18th, 1882, Wyatt was in a billiards hall with his brother Virgil, who with his floppy arm was just sitting there watching younger brother Morgan play billiards. At around 10pm, Morgan bends down to line up a shot when a gunshot smashes through the window behind him and enters Morgan through the back, severing his spine and exiting his body, lodging into the leg of bystander George Berry. Can you imagine just being that guy, just sort of just chilling out, watching some guys play billiards? You hear a gunshot, one guy falls down, and then it falls into your leg, and you're like, ah, shit. My initial reaction would be one of annoyance. Really annoyed. Yeah. just a bit inconvenient yeah you'd be like listen man if you were a bit fatter like if you weren't so damn skinny that wouldn't have gone all the way through <laughs> yeah it's just just how dare he <laughs> so morgan's uh, spine has been severed by this and he's basically just flopped out onto the billiards table in front of him another shot was fired immediately afterwards and it narrowly missed wyatt's head they grabbed morgan and they dragged him to the back of the saloon and laid him on a couch a doctor was brought in and announced that the shot was fatal. Morgan Earp died soon after. Morgan's supposed last words, muttered to the ears of his brother, were, quote, I can't see a damn thing. Um, we don't necessarily understand what he was trying to say. Maybe he was expecting to see a light or some other existence mm. opening up to him as maybe they were told would happen. Um, and he maybe couldn't see it. Anyway, nor the bullet caused some sort of blindness. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Now, concluding that the law was not going to help him with the death of his brother after it didn't help with the attempted assassination of his older brother, Wyatt decides to take the law into his own hands. He gathered a posse together, including Doc Holliday and five others, to act as protection for the Earp family whilst they take Morgan's body to a train station in Tucson where it would be taken to California, where the family were living. There he would get buried. And Virgil, along with the uh, wives and whatnot, were all expected to jump on the train and head off with them. Now, while in Tucson, Wyatt got word that the cowboys were in the area and were planning on finishing off Virgil when they got the chance. Now, we don't actually know if this was the case, since another source tells us that although Ike Clanton and some of the cowboys, yes, were in the area, Ike Clanton had actually been warned that uh, Wyatt Earp and the rest of the Earp family were around and in town, and one guy in particular, a guy called Frank Stilwell, told him that it was probably best if he gets out of the area, and as far as we know, Ike Clanton just, yeah, was like, no, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'm getting out of here, I don't want no beef, and just left. Um, so, Fair. we've got two different stories here. We've got Wyatt's side of the story, which says, the Cowboys were here, they wanted to kill my other brother, like they did, they tried to do it the first time, um, and they're just going to kill my whole family. And then, the Cowboys side says, well, no, we were told that you were here, so we tried to leave. But, I don't know. Now, the only person who didn't leave town when the Cowboys and Ike Clanton left was the guy who warned them, Frank Stilwell. He was still hanging around outside a restaurant where Wyatt Earp and his posse were eating. And when they left the restaurant, they spotted Frank Stilwell. Knowing that he was a cowboy, Wyatt assumed that he had something to do with the death of his brother and possibly the shooting of his other brother. They chased him down across the train tracks at Tucson until Frank Stilwell tripped and fell. 
We don't know what was said exactly, but it's safe to assume that Frank begged for his life. In response, Wyatt points his double-barrel shotgun at Frank's chest and gives him both barrels, killing him instantly. Hmm. Doc and the rest of the party also unloaded their weapons into the dead body of Frank Stilwell out of rage. So this is getting fucking... Wyatt is now a cold-blooded killer. And Frank Stilwell won't be the last one on Wyatt Earp's Vendetta ride. And now it's getting like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> it's getting Wild Westy now. Yeah, he's uh, out for vengeance. Oh, man, this, house, this guy's out for vengeance. This is literally how the like a film would go now. It's like, no, oh, please, please, don't, don't, don't. Bang! In fact, it was, would have been two massive bangs because I looked it up. Apparently, double-barrel shotguns back then actually had two triggers so you could pull both barrels at the same time, whereas now they oh, don't shit. necessarily have that. So like you would have that just almost would have cut him in half. Yeah, you would have been a, would have been in a hole for sure. Ooh, yeah. So now I will make clear because there might be some like Wild West historians who like White Earp and whatnot. It's not necessarily confirmed or like whatnot if White Earp actually killed Frank Stillwell. All we know is that Frank Stillwell was found dead on the train tracks um, later on, um, but it is assumed that White Earp did kill him and killed him out of cold blood. So arrest warrants for Wyatt and his posse were made, and Wyatt didn't really care much for it. He wanted to punish the cowboys. He headed off into the Dragoon Mountains where he knew cowboy camps were set up. Overall, he found and killed three more cowboys during his two-week vendetta ride. One confrontation near Iron Springs involved a shootout at the water's edge. Wyatt's posse took cover behind rocks, as did the cowboys on the other side, except for Wyatt. He just waded forward into the water, firing his weapon at anything in front of him that moved. It's kind of like, um, obviously I'm playing Red Dead at the moment. You know when you go into mm-hmm. like um, that eagle vision? What is it called? Dead Eye. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. go into Dead uh-huh. Eye mode and you start marking everything and you're just you're casually just walking forward out in the open. No one's going to touch you. You don't care. It's like he's got Dead Eye open at the moment and he's just walking forward wading into the water just shooting everything he's like a terminator now specifically he's going after one cowboy that he knows is there a guy called curly bill brocius wyatt recognized him as being one of the shooters in the attempts on his brother's life according to the story uh he has cut uh, Curly Bill basically in half with his double barrel shotgun mm. uh, and by the end of the confrontation not a scratch was on him except on his long coat it had bullet holes on either side of his coat um, and his sombrero had holes in it but he Fucking himself hell. was absolutely fine all he around got very him. lucky. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. All around him was just dead cowboys and he's literally just stood there, bullet holes in all his clothes and he's like, I'm fine, whatever. And like things like this is what what made the story almost almost made the story of White up where he's like this yeah. guy's untouchable. Like you cannot get him. Like I'm not just, a religious man, but God was definitely on his side. Or something was on his side, like yeah. Now, now with not just the rest of the cowboys following, but the local law from Tombstone, Wyatt and his posse left Arizona into New Mexico territory and then into Colorado. Wyatt supposedly would never ever again enter the state of Arizona for so long as he would live, 
because he has an outstanding warrant for murder. <laughs> and this is the thing. Wyatt is going to live to be a, a you know an old man, and yet mm. o- over in Arizona, he's a wanted man for murder, and yet he's just going to be living a couple of states over in LA for a bit. It's just so they baffling. Can't go get him. They just can't get him. It's so weird. Like, and this guy is well known. People know him. People like him. He's a famous dude later in life, and yet he will be a man that is in one particular state wanted for murder. It's it's bizarre. Yeah. But we'll, we'll get to there. Now, after spending a few weeks finding odd jobs, including a dealer in a saloon, Wyatt made his way to San Francisco with his common law wife Josephine. There, he took a job managing a stable. Now, if ever there was an advert for crime doesn't pay, it would be the tail end of Wyatt's life. He went from being a respected lawman with a stable job and chanced it all for revenge and spent the next few months and years wandering the west of Boom for Boomtowns trying to make a buck. Now, uh, Boomtowns in particular, you're, uh, if you're ever interested in looking at like Old West history, um, you'll hear the term boomers. Obviously, we use the term mm-hmm. boomers as those who were born uh, just before, just on or after the Second World War. Um, in terms mm-hmm. of the Old West, boomers are people that went to boomtowns specifically to just try and make a bit of money, and then they'd move on to the next boomtown that was springing up, making money, and they just kept doing right. that. Um, so, yeah, he, he's pretty much spent almost the rest of his life just sort of wandering from boomtown to boomtown just trying to find right where where is the money in this town and how can i make some of it now things would get a little exciting for wyatt when he would partake in the dodge city war remember last uh episode he was a sheriff in not a sheriff sorry um he was a marshal in dodge city and was a very well respected marshal in dodge city in kansas so he's about to head back to Dodge City and partake in the Dodge City War. However, Wyatt would be seriously bummed out, I imagine, when he found out what was actually going on. See, a guy called Luke Short was a saloon owner in Dodge City, and the new mayor of Dodge City was attempting to shut him and quite a few other brothels and saloons down. Now, the governor in the area was in disagreement and on the side of the saloon owners. And in response, he rounded up Wyatt along with seven other famous gunslingers such as Bat Masterson um, to essentially be a presence in the area. And the whole thing would last just over a month and would be a completely bloodless affair. The whole thing is basically like just court battles. And imagine Mm. just Wyatt with his other guys with their guns just sort of hanging around outside the saloon just being like, fuck me, this is boring. (laughs) Can someone do something? (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's. Uh, it's from here that we have the most famous picture of um, Wyatt Earp. Uh, so he's sat with like a bunch of other people, like Bat Masterson um, and some other people. Although I don't entirely know who they are. It doesn't matter though. But yeah, he's. Um, it comes up with like the most famous picture. Anyway. That will go on our Instagram, by the way. That's going to go for like this week's Instagram post. Check it out. If you're interested, of course, Like, do head over to our Instagram post uh, page where you can see images and pictures of the people that we talk about, if ever you've any idea what they look like, if you would like to know. So, yeah. Now, there was another short stint as a lawman in Idaho, but that lasted a month. 
um, well, a matter of months more so. And he only took the job on the area because he was hoping to set up a mining stake in the area to really make some money. Like being a lawman is not really, it, it's, a, it's a job, it's a, it's a stable job. However, it's not got the big bucks. And what you want and what boomers want is they want to go into this new town because uh, someone found gold. Uh, or there's a mining thing, there's coal here, or there's oil, and you want to get in there, you want to get in there quick, and you want to stake a claim in that mining company, and you want to make a shitload of money, and then you want to find the next boomtown that's doing the same thing, and you want to keep doing that. So going in as a lawman is not going to make you rich. So like I said last week, um, when he was the marshal in Dodge City, how like the perception of White Earp is that he is this moral good, in the wild, wild mm. west, this lawless country. And yet, really, when you break it down, he's not. He does it because it's just a job and it's something that will pay him for the meantime whilst he's trying to look for something else that might make him some more money. So he's not really that bothered. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. He, he seems to be someone that when he does his job, he does it and he does it well. But he's not like, I need to be a cop. I've got to be a man of action. Yeah, like, married to the job. Yeah, yeah he, he's not married to the job. He's the guy that, you know, like on the in the films, he finishes his shift and he goes to the, bub, uh, the pub and he just like drinks seven beers and then he drives his car home <laughs> and then he has <laughs> he has more beers and then falls asleep in his couch on his one his one armchair that he's got in the, sofa, in, in the living room and then yeah. he wakes up, has a swig of that like night before beer and then brushes his teeth and goes out again. Yeah. Kind of like that. <laughs> um, but he did make a profit in San Diego. Now, mm. here's another life lesson that you can learn from Wire Up, along with Crime Doesn't Pay. When looking for work, find something you enjoy and you'll never work a day in your life. That's a good one, isn't it? That's the old saying, yeah. I've always liked that one. And Wyatt had spent time... Uh, wandering around trying to establish connections in the mining industry with boomtowns to make money. Which is fine, but really, it's not what he knows. He doesn't really know mining or boomtown stuff, but what he mm -hmm. does know is drinking, gambling, mm. and sports. All fun stuff. So, yeah, so in San Diego, Wyatt opened up four saloons and gambling halls where he could play, uh, where you could play Faro, poker blackjack you name it it's there he was like oh these are all the games i love you can play that there too that cool he also had a bar conveniently situated in the same building as a rather popular brothel so you could imagine he got quite a lot of traffic everyone loves a brothel <laughs> yeah yeah everyone did certainly back then in fact one of the, this brothel in particular was uh very famous i think it sounded like a rainbowy brothel or something so each room was colored a particular color uh and the particular ladies who frequented these rooms had to also wear the same color as the theme of the room and that was like its little gimmick uh, what so there's like a yellow room and everyone and wears so, yellow yeah so the lady inside would also wear yellow uh lingerie and then you go into the red room and they wear red and everything's red themed and whatnot so yeah that was kind of its little gimmick right i suppose people had their favorite colors i don't know <laughs> yeah no one goes into the brown room it's just <laughs> it's got a funky smell on the walls feces <laughs> yeah so he also raced horses uh he officiated and bet on boxing matches put it this way at his peak 
Wyatt Earp was bringing in about a thousand dollars a night. Bloody hell. Back in, is, obviously, that's a lot now, but even then, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, that's a lot back then, and that's old time money, $1,000 a night. So we're talking like good cutler, I don't know, geez, whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Probably in the tens of thousands, if not hundreds. I, I, yeah, I would not be surprised. But unfortunately, like everywhere else, San Diego was a boom town. So within four years, all that was done. The boom had subsided and Wyatt could no longer afford the tax for his establishments. So he had to sell up and he moved back to San Francisco. That's a shame for him. It is a shame. Now, you might think, well, he's got all this money now, though, right? He's been making tens of thousands of dollars every night. Surely mm-hmm. he's comfortable. Well, it seems that he's, you know, common law wife Josephine. Uh, and, and Josephine, as far as I can tell, although I, it, it does seem to be rather confusing. If you remember, there was that sex worker who used to sort of hang around with him before, who used to claim she was his wife. Um, I think this is another, like, sex worker who sort of just stuck around Wyatt Earp and... They were together for like 40 years or whatever. As she changed her name to like Josephine um, because apparently her old name was too like slutty or whatever. <laughs> I think her name was Sadie and she was like, no, 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 I want Josephine. It's a bit better. Um, mm. But anyway, she's an old sex worker uh, and they just sort of just live together. I don't see it. I don't know if Wyatt is really that keen, but because Wyatt had a lot of extramarital affairs. He was like a rather keen fellow on that sense. Mm. Um, but. Josephine's problem was that she had a serious gambling habit and she would lose serious amounts of money every single day. So all that money that they made in San Diego was pretty much going, going, gone. In fact, um, Wyatt had bought uh, stakes in a mining operation, um, which she then gambled away. (laughs) Was like, I've got nothing left. And she was like, oh, um, I've got some. I've got some. I've got stakes in a mining company around the corner. I bet that she lost that as well. And it turns oh out dear. it was very, very profitable. Uh, and it, gambling it, doesn't pay, kids. Yeah, gambling does not pay. Do not get into gambling. It is a slippery slope that not many people have the right footwear for. It's not good. Mm. So yeah, he was never really um, overly impressed with her, but never left her. I don't know why. Now, we're nearing the end of our two-parter episode on Wyatt Earp, and we've covered a lot. But arguably, out of all the things that Wyatt did in his life, he's only really known for either of two things. The gunfight at the OK Corral, and what's about to happen now. Now, in December of 1896, the fight of the century was about to take place between Englishmen Bob Fitzsimmons and Irishman Tom Sharkey. They were competing for the title of heavyweight champion and a $10,000 prize money. With a lot on the line, neither fighter could agree on a referee for the match. The only man fit for the job, apparently, was Wyatt Earp, a (laughs) a man whose lawman days preceded him. Now, in a local newspaper... He was described as the sole reason that law and order had come to the Old West. And so for that reason, they were like, come on, this guy made the West lawful. Who more, who better do you want to officiate this rat match? Now, mm. interestingly, the Englishman was like, no, I don't like this guy. He seems a bit dodgy. Uh, however, 
after a bit of, you know, come on, come on, come on, both parties did agree uh, to have Wyatt Earp referee the match. Right. Now, we mentioned in the last episode, and I briefly just mentioned before, Wyatt has refereed boxing matches before. In fact, he's refereed more than 30 boxing matches in his time. But Mm. he's never refereed a match of this size and grandeur. Not only is there, like, you know, a heavyweight title... Uh, on the line, a $10,000 prize money on the line. There are 15,000 people in attendance watching this match. That's a Uh, lot of people. That's a lot of people. And for the most part, um, Earp was doing all right. So the fight was flowing. Um, Fitzsimmons was the favourite, the Englishman. He was the Mm favourite, and he was absolutely dominating this Irishman, Sharky, when he hit him with his famous uppercut. Um, which mm. apparently, like, he, you'd, he'd hit you right in the sternum, just sort of under the ribs, and it almost, like, uh, made your heart skip a beat. And then your whole Oof. body was just like, I can't I'll do anything. And the whole then his yeah. opponent was just fucked. Um, he did this, right, um, which was a usual move, and everyone was like, go, fucking ace, mate. That's brilliant, that's brilliant. And Sharky just, he flopped. He fell to the floor. Uh, uh, screaming in pain uh, and holding his groin which obviously Wyatt Wyatt was then like whoa 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 he stopped the fight and immediately disqualified Fitzsimmons calling a low blow saying that he'd hit him below the belt in the nuts Uh, and he then awarded the win to Sharky and Honestly, I can't imagine what this probably sounds like. Well, in fact, you, you hear it on football like with like 70,000 fans, but nearly 15,000 people booed and hissed not seeing what Wyatt Earp had claimed happened. Mm. He's like, this guy hit him in the nuts. That's a low blow. He's out. And like 15,000 people were like, are you blind? <laughs> but then, <laughs> But then we do that with football, innit? Like, you see a foul, and we're like, how does the ref not fucking see that? And it's like, oh. yeah. when VAR comes yeah. in, you're like, it was a dive, and the ref spotted that. Yeah, The refs are pretty good at what they do. Uh-huh. But, um, I mean, I don't know why. Uh, yes, he's refereed matches before, but f- as far as we, um, I've been doing my research, there was like two styles of boxing rules back then, and there was like this London one and this marquee one. I can't remember how it went, but... Um, why it was used to refereeing like bare but bare knuckle kind of stuff, um, right? And this fight was not that, so it was a bit different to what he's used to. So maybe he did just make a mistake. We don't quite know. However, calls of match fixing echoed San Francisco in the following days, and Wyatt always claims that he saw what he saw, and even a doctor afterwards corroborated a blow having been landed on Sharky near that region. But but the damage to Wyatt's reputation was done, right? He would be known for the next 20 years of his life, he would be known as the man who fucked up the fight of the century and possibly fixed it. Which just seems a shame. Um, After everything he's done? Yeah. It just comes down to perhaps a bad call in a boxing match. It seems to be so. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, this is what I'm saying. Like, out of everything that we've covered with Wyatt Earp's life, it seems that he's only known for those two things. Either he fixed a boxing match or he did the gunfight at the OK Corral and everything else is just like, eh, forgotten. 
That's such a shame. I guess a lot of people lost a lot of money. You would have thought, but it also... It does seem to be the case, because Sharky was the underdog. Wyatt Earp had made... Well, it, we don't know. We don't know. But there's uh, there's a rumour that Wyatt Earp had also made a bet on Sharky to win. Um, and obviously... He, he, I mean, as a ref, you shouldn't really be able to do that. The ref should not be allowed to bet, you're right. Um, yeah, it ended up going to court, and uh, Fitzsimmons was like, this is bullshit, this needs to be overturned. I fought him fair and square, whatever. Um, and I can't remember exactly what happened. I think the prize money just sort of did not go to anyone, but like, I think they like White got like $1,000 or something for it, and everyone was then called him a cheat, and a match fixer and it, yeah he hated it absolutely hated the fact that he was called a cheat mm. now as you would following on from that after stops in alaska uh and seattle wyatt soon settled in the desert in a small place called vidal california where he would spend most of his time like he tended to winter of in the desert and i mean in the fucking desert i looked at this place on google maps and even today there is nothing here. It, it, and he's, mm. Apparently his home is still there. It's a little landmark you can go oh. visit now. Um, and it's just like, it is a really small little shack. And he and his wife just sort of hung out just in the winter. Uh, but three hours drive west from Vidal is the City of Angels, Los Angeles. Um, now, I found this interesting. Uh, when I was just looking it up, the origin of Los Angeles, well, not necessarily Los Angeles, but the origins of Hollywood are really quite interesting um so holly right. hollywood was this like little farming town village at the end of a, a train line and um it seems that like a few basically thomas edison remember thomas edison's hanging around at this point as well weird mm-hmm. thomas edison which which reminds me as well so if thomas edison's hanging around uh so it is nikola tesla and we obviously have an episode of nikola uh-huh. tesla so check that out um Thomas Edison is, as we know, a dick. Um, he has a monopoly on the movie industry and any sort of films that are made. Um, however, there is a lot of French filmmakers coming over and he hates them. He's trying to get injunctions against the French coming over to make films because he's like obviously going to lose money if other people can make films. However, a lot of criminals or outlaws and whatnot, they're trying to make their own films and Edison is basically just... Uh, trying to stop them all by like putting injunctions on them trying to get uh this like gang to hunt them down and stop and break their equipment and all this shit and it turns out apparently a group of outlaws or whatever they headed to the end of the line to a place called hollywood um and set up shop here and we're like we all set up shop here to make films and then all their sets were made on wheels in case Thomas Edison's goons came around to try and stop them and then they'd just fuck off to another area. But obviously they didn't happen. They ended up just staying in Hollywood and started making films. And I think that's like the um, origin of Hollywood and its filmmaking history. That's mad. Now it is what it is today. Yeah. It's cool, right? That's really interesting. I didn't know Thomas Edison was involved in all that. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a massive twat. <laughs> <laughs> but we will get into like um, Hollywood and the LA film stuff in a bit. Um, so at the age of 62, Wyatt was incorporated into the Los Angeles Police Department doing tasks, quote, outside the law, which is really cool. Such as getting criminals from uh, over the border in Mexico. He was pretty good at this job and he 
did it for a time, but as he got older, he slowed and mainly focused on his mining shares. So where he was staying in Vidal, he had a mining uh, stake near that area. So he just liked to hang around the area to like get, you know, keep an eye on his mining stuff. Now, yeah. he would spend his summers in LA with his wife, where he began to flirt with the burgeoning movie industry, as we've just discussed the history of. Now, at the time, and this is quite funny, westerns were the main money maker in the film industry. Mainly because they were so fucking easy to make. Put it this way, you still had many men just a couple of hours ride away living that Old West lifestyle. So often, the film crew would just pitch up in the desert with an actor and whatnot, and then they'd just get the locals to just appear as background for authenticity. And as well, it's silent movies a lot of the time at this point as well. So they just, you know, get an actor to walk around, and it was easy. In fact, there was one guy who was, like, apparently he's quite a famous film director at the time. He said that he could make, like, three or four westerns a day, and he'd just write them on his shirt sleeve, just like the story, really quickly, just write it on his shirt sleeve in the morning, go make them in the afternoon, and he'd make, like, $750 a week. <laughs> How cool is that? That's really good. Fucking... I quite like to. I don't. It's very interesting thing to say. Do I want to be around at this time? It seems like the land of opportunity, but also the land of death. Yeah. No. So you're absolutely right, and I, I'm with you on that. I, I wish I was around at this time because of that whole idea of it being the land of opportunity. And we mentioned on the last episode, like everything there was for the taking. You just had to take it, but that meant. Mm. everyone else was trying to take it which meant obviously competition was very very fierce and it did sometimes get violent mm, very dog eat dog. It, was, it was dog eat dog it, the confrontation was regular because um you know everyone's trying to make it and if you don't make it yeah you're right you will get hurt and you will die because this is relatively speaking an inhospitable place to be like you're practically next to the mm. desert if you can't make it here you're fucked um there's a reason why like in last episode um Wyatt Earp wanted to open a stagecoach company, but when he got to Tombstone, there was already two there. So he was like, well, that's it then. Not going to make one. Because if he had started, the other two might gang up on him and, in fact, shoot him down, which definitely happened. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, um, there's a guy in Billy the Kid. You know Billy the Kid? Uh, Yeah. In Billy the Kid's story, there's a guy who took, in Billy the Kid as like a 16 year old and gave him a job in a, in a ranch and this guy was an Englishman relatively new to the area in New Mexico and he uh, bought up a load of land he was he was old money, he bought up a load of land and he was apparently really really good to Billy the Kid and Billy Kid absolutely loved him there was a couple of mm-hmm. other Irish guys who also owned a shitload of land in the New Mexico Territory who hated the fact that this guy's coming in and trying to muscle in on their land and buying up up other places. So they got him shot by the, by the sheriff as well. They like they uh, they bought in they bought the police force basically. They bought them and they were like, "Yeah, this guy needs gone." And 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 the fucking sheriff and the police force like they shot this guy dead and that's what kicked off Billy the Kid being the person he became. I suppose if you've got the money, you can just do whatever the fuck you yeah. want. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right, and that, but so yeah, you're you're absolutely right in that. Like, it's a land of opportunity. You've got to go out and take it, but the competition is so fierce. But it's the the competition is not just fierce; it's deadly. So, um, who better to have on your movie set as a consultant than the man that is the old west? Wire up! This guy has been there. He has done it, and he has bought the T-shirt, which 
you, dear listener, should do too at our merch store at www.twpd.store. That was very well done. Thank you very much. (laughs) Anyway, he was oftentimes a regular on movie sets, uh, giving tips and advice on how things were done. Um, In fact, the most famous Western actor, John Wayne, uh, he based his whole Western-style approach on that of Wyatt Earp and his legend. Um, although uh, there's there's stories that they met and he learnt how he walked and all this shit, but uh, as, as far as we know, um, John Wayne is a liar. They never met. Uh, he just learnt through stories through other people about Wyatt Earp, and then right. um, yeah, he was obsessed with him and tried to emulate him in all of his characters in westerns. So apparently, he's the closest guy uh, in western movies to Wyatt Earp. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Now, Wyatt's later life was marred with some ill health as he got older, still an independent man doing his own business when he could, until the 13th of January 1929, when Wyatt Earp died aged 80 years old. Bloody good good innings. Yeah, good innings for an old West man. He'd been through so much as well, survived stuff he shouldn't have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's survived gunfights. He's murdered people. He's been a lawman. He's he's tamed the West, they say, and lived to 1929. This is a, just a decade before World War Two. That's crazy. It's like absolutely mental that all this stuff was going on like relatively recently in the, the grand bit, scheme of things. Absolutely. Um, when I was just writing the ending for this episode, I was like, wait, wait, my granddad would be born 11 years later? Yeah, fuck. How cool is that? Like, Wyatt Earp, the guy, like one of the most famous Westerners in, in, in American history, when he died, my granddad would just be born a decade later. That's so cool. I find that so interesting how, like, time... And we've done this quite a bit this episode, where time is just so weird. Like, you just... Mm. When you think about it, it's so just it's just there. <laughs> the Wild West seems so much further away than it actually is. It is, it is, and when you think about it, it's not that far away. It's relatively recent. They call it in the modern. It's modern history. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's the story of Wyatt Earp. It's taken us two episodes to do it, and we finally covered it. Fascinating stuff. I do yeah. like cowboys and stuff, oh, and I- uh, gunslingers. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I'm endlessly fascinated by the whole of that stuff. And I'm, uh, to be fair, doing the research for this, I've, I, the love for that era has just intensified. And I think it's something I will definitely continue to look into um, in the future. There's so many more people that I've discovered uh, in writing this episode that I would love to talk about in the future. Um, mm. So, yeah, expect more Western stuff. In fact, I'm interested in, like... Um, um, yeah, uh, black cowboys. Um, so, obviously, this is like after Civil War and whatnot. But everyone out west, no one give a shit about your politics for the most part. A lot of people really didn't care about your politics. They just cared that you were you could survive out there and you were a good mm. on it. You were a good honest man and you worked hard and all this kind of stuff. And there were a lot of like um, uh, black people, black Americans that went out west and like became cowboys and ranchers and gunslingers and everything you think wow that's so cool you think of the west and you just think of white men and yeah yet, they're not they're from all over the place they're black they're european they're german scandinavian 
they're ev- they're from all over the place. There's no there's no such thing as this like American Old West. It's just this like homogenous group of people that just want to better themselves and get on. I suppose that America was built on immigration, wasn't it? America is an immigrant. <laughs> yeah, the, the the whole country is just one massive bit of immigration, which is it's yeah. We won't get into that, but I'm sure we all know where we're going with. Interestingly, uh, it, it's one of those things. Like America is a melting pot of culture, and I think to ignore it and to try and glaze over it i think is a damn shame i think it's one of those things that really should be celebrated um and and same would apply for our country our country is a like i say as well a melting pot of culture uh and 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 religions and all this sort of stuff and i think all of that stuff you know should be celebrated mix it in incorporate it different different cultures coming together better uh a community absolutely um oh uh i've got one like fun fact question which obviously would done like i think it it goes along with the multicultural thing uh what was the most common hat for people to wear in the old west was it a common hat yeah was it a a stetson was it b a sombrero or was it b a bowler hat oh um obviously in like hollywood depictions You've got the classic cowboy hat. Um, I think sombrero to protect yourself from the sun because it's got the biggest surface area. Uh, do you know what? You're absolutely correct. Uh, but there are caveats to that. So a bowler hat is the most common that you'll see in pictures. Uh, and turns right. out a lot of people just living in towns and cities of the area would wear bowler hats. That was the most common hat. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. good old Victorian bowler um, although a lot mm-hmm. more top hats as well but most people wore a bowler hat then it was a sombrero because obviously the Mexicans they'd been living there for fucking hundreds of years and they knew that sombrero was a superior hat uh, so everyone mm. wore a sombrero and even a lot of cowboys wore sombreros because they knew it was the best thing in fact Billy the Kid famously wore sombreros almost all the time and then yes mm. the Stetson was like the least worn uh, of all the hats and obviously is the one that is depicted the most in films which is why we think it is the most commonly worn hat i suppose it just looks cooler yeah it does i mean so to be fair sombreros then are not sombreros that we know today yeah there's not like a cowboy walking around with literally like a sombrero that covers half the fucking states of america <laughs> it's not that <laughs> big. big he's not you get them when you go to like dinner at, um i don't know Mexican restaurants and stuff is proper cultural appropriation. Oh, like, do you want to wear a sombrero while you eat? Yeah, massively. Like, yes, yes, yeah. I do. It, it's not got like it's 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 not got fucking guacamole dipped in it. It's like you know, like in, in was it yeah. Despicable Me too? And he's like fucking sombrero hat is a nacho. <laughs> That's bad. I swear, like you can get those in America. I'm sure I've seen them. I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, no. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode on White Up, this two-part series. I know it's been a long one, but I hope you've enjoyed the rad. Um, who do we have next week to talk about, James? Uh, it's going to be Bonnie Prince Charlie. Uh, if you don't know who that is, don't worry, because I didn't know either until I went to Scotland. So uh, one point, I say at one point, at many points during <laughs> English and Scottish history, they've been fighting each other. Yeah. Um, so we've done William Wallace, which was in the 1300s. That, now this is in... God, I haven't done my research. This is the Jacobite era. Yeah. So this is Bonnie Prince Charlie, um, who claims he has the rightful claim to the throne in Scotland, uh, even though he was an Englishman. It's it's a whole big thing, and there was a civil war, um, and then it all 
culminated in the Battle of Culloden. If you've seen Outlander, the the TV series Outlander, you'll know what I'm talking about. That is basically what this is. My mum. So yeah, it's just a lot of English and Scottish killing each other and Scottish and Scottish killing each other. It's just a lot of people killing each other. My mum is going to love this episode. Uh, Outlander is one of her favourite things. It is, it is just the story of Outlander, just not as... I'm afraid I can't show boob on this podcast, and <laughs> Outlander shows a lot of boob. <laughs> and without the time travel. Um, yeah, no time travel. Although when I was in Scotland, I went to um, Clava Cairns, which is basically really fascinating. I'll get in really quickly. Prepare for this next week as well. I might have to make it a two-parter just because I'll be talking about all the shit I saw. <laughs> the It's basically like stone circles, but there were tombs, and they were used as tombs about 2,000 years ago, and then they were left dormant for a while, and then 1,000 years ago, they just got restarted and made into tombs again. Oh, wow. And they're still standing, and... It's basically got all these rocks, and that's where the stones of Outlander were not filmed, but like they clearly took inspiration from hmm. from this place. Really cool. I like that. I want to be. But yeah, I want to be buried in we'll a get, stone we'll circle. They were really cool, and the way they they all faced the same way. So the sun came in and like lit them in a certain way. It's really really clever. Is, but yeah, it's cool. All right, guys. We'll look yeah, forward to for that. that next week. We'll be talking about Pony Prince Charlie and the Jacobite Uprising. Um, Make sure you follow us on all the socials if you'd like to catch up on images of the people we talk about. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do us on our Ko-fi page, www.ko-fi.com forward slash that's what people do. Or if you'd like to check out some of our awesome merch, you can head over to the merch store, www.twpd.store if you missed the link in the episode, which was so seamlessly put in. I wouldn't be surprised if you did miss it. <laughs> Do you know what? When I wrote that, I was like, I am the best fucking person in the world. <laughs> it was done. There was some nice stuff on the merch store as well. There was like, like we're not even just sucking our own dicks for no reason. There's genuinely nice stuff on there. Yeah, man. There's some really good stuff. Like, you know, we're taking a lot of time yeah. and effort making these. So, you know, at least look at them. <laughs> yeah, and they're reasonably priced as well. Yeah, not bad. Uh, we're going to look at getting some more stuff as well. Maybe some hats in the future. But yeah, we're looking into it. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening to this uh, episode. Uh, join us next week and we'll see you then. Ta-ra.